Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us so that we can draw more power out of them because we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mulestein, and I'm so happy to have back with us by now a, a familiar and welcome figure, Dr. Jennifer Lane, uh, whom you've heard a number of times by now on the podcast and uh, is just wonderful in her not only teaching abilities, but the breadth and depth of her scholarship. So we're, we're happy to have you back. Thank you for being with us, Jennifer. Oh. Thanks, Carrie. This is a real pleasure. I'm just delighted. And this is wonderful texts we have to explore together today. So it's yeah, wonderful I, to be here. I, I'm excited for these texts and especially for your insights. So I'll remind uh, people that they can, uh, if they like this episode and they haven't heard uh, Dr. Lane in the past, go back and find those episodes that she's been in. Uh, you'll enjoy them. But okay. But before we get going, there are a couple of really exciting announcements I want to make for everybody. Just a little bit of business that I think has a lot of great things in it. So one, we are uh, going to have a workshop. This is our first time ever doing it, but a scriptures are real workshop. We're going to actually have two workshops. These will be uh, at my home. If uh, depending upon size, we might uh, I have to get a bigger venue if a whole lot of people register for this. Uh, we're going to have one where we're getting ready for uh, the Book of Mormon and studying the Book of Mormon. So this will be a Thursday evening, all day, well, most of the day, Friday. I mean, we'll let you go home at night kind of a thing, but Friday and then uh, half a day Saturday kind of a thing. This will be on uh, December 7th, 8th, and 9th, where we're just going to do some workshops. It'll consist of me uh, teaching a number of things, but also us uh, studying uh, together and and preparing for understanding the Book of Mormon better. We're going to try and, and go through some themes and some things that I think will help us get more out of a full year study of Book of Mormon. Uh, this is going to be just because it's going to cost us a little bit. Some food will be included, and uh, we're also trying to use this to uh, support uh, the, the costs of doing the scriptures are real. Uh, so this will be uh, $365. And if you're interested in being part of this, it's going to be somewhere in Utah Valley, as I said, uh, then email me at the scriptures are real at gmail.com. That's the scriptures are real at gmail.com. We're going to have a second workshop the weekend after that. And these are both uh, because people have expressed a lot of interest in these topics. And so where I'm really trying to kind of meet my audience's desires and needs. So the next weekend, this will just be a Friday and Saturday, the Friday, the 15th and Saturday, the 16th, kind of a, a day and a half or two day uh, workshop. And it's going to be on ancient Egypt. We're going to uh, talk about uh, temples in Egypt and, and their ties with uh, LDS temples. And we're going to talk about uh, Egyptian beliefs in the afterlife and Egyptian beliefs in creation and how that can help us understand our own beliefs. We'll also talk about my own excavation, the pyramid, uh, what we learned about uh, Christianity and the, the advent of Christianity from burials. I'm hoping to include, the plan is we'll include uh, being able to go to some of my labs at BYU and see some of the artifacts that we have and replicas of artifacts. And, and you can even touch some uh, ancient materials. Uh, that's uh, planned to be part of this. So that will be that Friday and Saturday. Uh, this one is is a day uh, less. Uh, it's an evening less, basically, is all it is instead of Thursday evening. So uh, it will be $295 um, per participant. Uh, again, so that will be December 17th and 18th. Uh, no, sorry, I, I lied. Uh, December 15th and 16th. That's a Friday and Saturday. And... Um, you can email us at the scriptures are real at gmail.com if you have any interest in that. We'll also be sending this out 
via email blast. So we hope you'll uh, join us for that. This has got us thinking bigger. We've got some things on the horizon we'll tell you about soon, but we're starting to think big and, and how can we better and better meet the needs of uh, our audience and their interests and, and the things that they would like. And I'll also remind you that we've arranged for you right now between November 15th and December 15th to get 25% off of my books at Covenant. If you go to Siegel.com and put in the code carry K-E-R-R-Y 25. So carry 25, the numbers are two five. Uh, you get 25% off on my books and uh, the Isaiah book will help you get ready for uh, uh, the Book of Mormon. Uh, my little book on the covenant path is very cheap, could make great Christmas gifts or whatever. So those are some things that we're uh, hoping are helpful for you. We're just trying to figure out how can we uh, help you. You can also learn more about these things and everything else that we're trying to do uh, on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok by going to TSAR. That stands for the Scriptures Are Real. So TSAR.podcast on any of those platforms. And that's where you'll also learn more about uh, upcoming but things. In any case, today we're going to cover um, First and Second Peter, which are some some real, uh, I'd say, some uh, strongholds in uh, the the epistles of the New Testament. And so, I'm excited to uh, be able to talk about and learn from you. So, why don't you take us wherever you'd like to go? Okay. Well, these are, I mean, these are texts that, as Latter Day Saints, were very dear to our heart. I think because of the just like James was connected to the restoration through Joseph Smith's experience that the um their texts in in the epistles of Peter that are tied to Joseph F Smith and then section 138 of the doctrine and covenant so that's the, um obviously we we know that some of these passages really well because of the beautiful powerful teachings there and um, and I do hope we'll we'll get a chance to talk about them but I think um kind of coming at it from a different direction, like rather than what we're usually thinking about it. And one thing that helps me is, is just thinking about what is it like to hear from, like when we look forward to listening to president Nelson, like what is it here? It's like to hear from the, the senior apostle and the, yeah. the president of the church. And that's what we're getting here. This is really, I, I love Paul and his um, passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ and his deep insights into the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Peter is, um, he's, he's speaking with a kind of authority and a clarity, I think, that is, I think we, we can resonate with it. I think that becomes real for us because you're thinking back to the last conference when everyone was like, are we going to hear from President Nelson? We're we not going to hear from President Nelson. And then all the, at the end, um, we were able to hear the recording of his, of his conference talk. And there's just that, that wonderful feeling that we're hearing from the Lord from his prophet for our day. And I think, I hope that the, the, the members of the church at this time, when they heard from Peter through letter, which is kind of like a recording, you know, for, yeah. you know, that that's their version know, of it. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's the way that he could share his, his words through space and time um, to make them present for other people. And that the, hopefully they had the same feeling of, um, of excitement and and also the sense of of really wanting to pay attention and focus like what is what is the most important thing for us to hear and what really strikes me is i think about themes and this is of course dear to both of our hearts because we've both worked on covenant for a long time um but i i'm i'm feeling the same message from peter that i feel from president nelson because i think this is christ's message to us that um being covenant people is about being 
becoming his and being different. Um, and that theme of, of covenant, the theme of redemption, and the theme of how do we live as covenant people, for me, just keeps coming back over and over again um, in these, in um, both first and second Peter. So, um, so I think it's, it's just exciting to deal to, to zoom in even just on a few passages. I think that, that highlight that because in addition to being a subject that, you know, I've written about, you've written about, um, it's also something that's changed my life yeah. <laughs> that coming to understand covenant. And I, I was grateful that, you know, it was something I was able to have the Lord teach me about early on in my life, you know, but to realize covenant is a, is a connection, it's a family relationship, that it's um, it's a way of being the Lord's people. And um, and so when I see that here, I think back to my own life and how when I came to realize what that meant for me, um, that this invitation to leave the world and to, to be, be the covenant, the children of the covenant, to be the covenant people, um, it really... It, it's it's very it's very personal and it's it's very real. So I love I love the way Peter talks about it here. Wow, so wonderful. Uh, I I can't agree more. And and maybe I'll just also say on a uh, it's it's kind of nice to come back to Peter. I I know uh, when we're in Acts, we've just at the first part of Acts, you're just coming to love Peter and this leader that he's become and who he is and so on. And then we're excited for Paul. But it feels like we kind of miss I miss Peter. And so it's nice to come back to Peter here at the end, uh, which in some ways was second Peter, like really at the end of his ministry, it would appear. And so uh, right. it's it's nice to circle back around to this man whom we have come to love. And and I I mean, almost like the saints of old, I, I'm, I was kind of like looking for that leadership like you're talking about. Where's where's I want that Peter leadership. Yeah. So and, yeah. and it's, it's nice. these kind of these bookends of seeing him. And I think it's inspiring for us as well, because we know we go through struggles increasing our faith in Christ, just like we see him, yeah. you know, in his struggles and then becoming, you know, with the gift of the Holy ghost, just on fire, teaching and preaching. And then here we kind of like, he, he's summarizing, we don't get to see all his life, all his journeys. We see Paul's, but we don't yeah. see his, but, but we can see, I think here, I feel is sort of a life lived um, in this witness and and the witness i think it's interesting coming right after the epistle of the hebrews because he now has this clarity i think it was a little you know you can see a little bit in galatians like you know he's still learning i think he's learning maybe a little slower than paul about how christ truly does um you know the the gospel can replace the law of moses and but what we see here i think is that clarity that that yeah. he is like completely he has that vision and and he's understanding the more. And um, and so I think we can, like, some of these verses are really emphasized, again, along the lines of the Epistle of the Hebrews, of how it, the the law of Moses points to Christ. And so let maybe jump into, um, partway through the first chapter, there's, uh, there's verses that where Peter's quoting from Leviticus, and we're talking about being holy. And this is the Lord speaking to his covenant people in ancient times. So, so here's Christ as Jehovah telling his covenant people to be holy. So in verse 
14 maybe so this idea of, of, we're of chapter one children. Right? so we're in chapter one so first peter yeah. chapter one starting with the first 14 maybe so as obedient children so ladies where we've made this covenant we're now children of the covenant as obedient children right. not fashioning yourself so we're leaving behind another way of living um not fashioning yourselves according to former lusts and your ignorance like we you know before we found christ we we maybe did things we shouldn't have done it's like we leave that behind now you're living in a new way yeah, it's almost um, like as if you entered into the covenant of baptism and you washed away that old way, yeah. right? And it's like it, you've left it behind and you're living, you know, you've you've crossed over um, and are living this new redeemed life through right. Christ for Christ. And and then sort of that reminder of what is it that we're being called to? What is it we're accepting and taking upon ourselves through covenant? But in verse 15, as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And this verb here, this conversation, this this is going to come up um, over and over again. Peter uses it a lot. Um, this it, anastrophes. Um, so it, it's conversation is usually it's usually the way it's translated, but in Greek it has more the sense of behavior and conduct. And so a lot of times you see conversation. And it's going to be, he's, he's really talking about how do we, how do we live? Not just how do we speak. And so how we speak is a subset <laughs> of how we live. Um, and I think thinking back to President Nelson, where he is calling us to the higher and holier, right? That to, to not say anything that's unkind, to not do anything that's unkind, to not, you know, the way we treat each other is this Christ-like manner. And so is, is this call, like in verse 16, this quotation from, Jehovah speaking to the the um the covenant people in in Leviticus because it is written be ye holy for I am holy as so as the children of Christ as the children of the covenant we're under obligation to to be in the world the way he is and so if he's holy we by taking his name upon us at baptism we're committing to be that way it's it's not it's sense it's not really an option for us anymore like we've chosen this is what we want covenants our, our way of saying to the Lord, I want to be come even as you are. And that, and Christ is there to helping us through this path of taking on that nature. But, but we're, we've committed ourselves to a path of holiness, to the, the, this behavior, this conduct, this life that does include how we speak, but, but it's all the way through us. It's not just, it's not just superficial. It can't just right. be the mouth. It has to be, be the heart. And it, and it is, uh, I, I think, to add emphasis to that is, like you said, he's quoting from the the instructions of how to act in the covenant. Um, and it it really is about if we're going to talk about being holy in another way, you could say that is becoming godly or, or godlike or Christlike. That's, right. That's it's because it's his nature. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. No, no, but that's it. And I think that the, when we see that theme like this is that's what the covenant's for is to help us take on a God a godlike nature, a Christ-like nature, a holy nature. And then, but but this is sometimes where we get stumped, but fortunately the gospel shows us, and we see right here in this, that we don't do it ourselves. And I think that sometimes as Latter-day Saints, for a long time we had the sense of like, oh yeah, we make these super promises and then we have to be like, just hang in there and be super good by ourselves without realizing the covenants about creating relationships so we get power and help to be, better and holier than we could be by ourselves and we see that 
right where he goes right back to the covenant relationship is being tied to redemption. And so you see in verse 18, for you know that, so he's reminding them, um, as you know, you, you are, were not redeemed. So this being brought out of bondage to a life of sin, a way of living that it itself is a kind of bondage that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Um, because in the New Testament era, people were still being, you know, being bought out of bondage is as real for them as it was in Old Testament times. It was a very right. real thing that you could you could pay money and someone could, could leave bondage. But he's saying it's not that kind of redemption. It's not redemption with a payment of a price of silver and gold. And then here's where we see conversation again, that we weren't, you weren't redeemed from that old, that vain conversation, which it, it's basically, it's, it's a, a way of living that isn't a happy way of living, isn't a holy way of living. Christ has bought us from the bondage of sin and a way of living that maybe you didn't know any better, right? That vain, um, vain conversation. And fortunately, we have a nice little footnote here because it's like, what? It's so 18, we can see there an, an alternative translation be erroneous or fruitless conduct. But it's that conduct, that yeah. astrophe is that the way of living that before redemption, before covenant was, it, it didn't lead to a happy way of being. <laughs> but that the Christ is helping us, is giving us power to leave that behind. And this, I think, is, is such a key message that redemption comes through Christ in verse 19, we weren't redeemed. This isn't a money transaction, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then he has the beautiful teaching in verse 20 of this. This was the plan from the beginning, the plan of redemption through the atoning sacrifice of Christ, that Christ was for foreordained before the foundation of the world. So this this was he is the lamb. There's a passage in Revelation, right, where he's the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. That he the the plan of redemption through Christ's sacrifice was always the plan. And um so that knowing that he he's perfect, we're not perfect. He's without blemish, we're not without blemish, he's without spot, we're not without spot, but but he laid down his life. So that whatever we've done can be cleansed, can be washed away. It's just, it, it's past. We've left it behind. The redemption is to leave that bondage. We, we're not stuck there. And that he's then giving us the chance to be, to be cleansed. I love it in verse um, where it talks about, in verse 21, about, again, the faith. So by him, do believe in God who raised him up for the dead. So Christ's suffering, Christ's resurrection. Christ was glorified so that we could have this confidence. So he's slain, the lamb that's slain, but also that is risen. So he is the glorified son of God. So we have confidence. And um, and then verse 22 kind of ties it together that you, seeing you've purified your souls so that, okay, whatever was is gone. You've, you've purified your souls. And then how does that happen? In obeying the truth through the spirit unto, I mean, all of these prepositions are so important. So how does, how does the Holy ghost work on us? Because I'm so grateful. President Eyring has always taught this so clearly when the Holy ghost is with us, that's when the atoning blood of Christ is being applied, that we are, we're getting cleansed from our sins so that as we, we feel this, this purifying influence, 
as we're obeying the truth and the spirit's helping us to do that through the spirit and that it's leading us to a better way of living a better way of feeling unto unfeigned love of the brethren so because when we're when we're in sin when we don't have the spirit we don't love other people we we're we're fearful we're um we're judgmental but when the spirit's working on us we feel peace we feel love um we feel compassion because we're starting to feel the way god feels that that sort of holiness and so this this little tiny verse just has so much into it unto the unfeigned love of the brethren and then it's like that that's god's nature so taking on char- charity the pure love of christ is what the 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 redemption's for is to help us start to feel differently and to be differently then and then verse the next verse uses this image of being born again which runs throughout the book of mormon and this is what christ it's another way of talking about what redemption is it's it's to leave one way one kind of life and start another kind of life this is uh one of the wonderful things that uh I, i love we see here um so I would say there's another theme that you and I have researched in common, and actually you're the one who kind of taught me, keyed me in on how important this was, and that's the this idea of redemption, right? The the goel or the redeemer, uh, who, as you said, the tradition in Old Testament times and New Testament times, if someone's is in bondage, is sold into slavery, or they uh, couldn't meet their debt or whatever, that they can be bought out by a price. But but there's a key difference between that redemption, besides what he's talking about here, right? So there's there's a key difference. Not only is it not with money, but when someone is redeemed, they're redeemed, they're set free, but they're still who they were. They're still themselves, right? So they're they're out of bondage. They they're given back their land or whatever. They can they can be free and do things, but they're still who they are. But when Christ redeems us, because it is with His blood, which was not corruptible, and which is divine, He redeems us into a higher state. And that's that born again state, right? Again, not of corruptible, but of incorruptible, uh, and it abideth forever. And that's how we get those last verses where he, he compares his uh, fleshes as grass and the flowers, right? It, it's going to go so quickly, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And that word is not just what we're hearing, it's what we become because Christ redeems us and transforms us. And and so it's a, it's a, a, a wonderful key difference in god's redemption as opposed to man's redemption and it is it's a power i think the more like there's a depth to say of, of spiritual redemption that i've studied for decades but i still feel like i'm i'm just still coming to understand it both on yeah. a personal level and just in terms of how the scriptures teach about it because there's this this transformation that's involved like you say that it is changed from you know in someone who's in bondage their state has changed because they're not in bondage anymore but spiritually speaking the bondage is a way of being it's it's an ungodly kind of life and as right. we're redeemed by christ is as we're changed into his image that's freedom so that he makes when he says that that the truth will make you free he is he is the word he's the truth he's freeing us as we as we do take his nature upon us as as yes. we live holy so we can't be redeemed in our sins because that's it's a contradiction of terms we have to be redeemed from our sins we have to leave our sin behind otherwise we're not redeemed it's it it's just not it's that's what redemption's for is to help us spiritual redemption is is entering into that new kind of life 
in uh, Christ and through Christ, which is is the best news. I mean, that's the good news of the gospel is that he can he can help us become what we could not and will not. We never could become by ourselves. Uh, so well said. And that, that kind of keys in on something you said earlier that sometimes we feel like, OK, I need to do this because there is a part of us living holy. Right. There is a, a part of this. that's our we action. Make choices. We have agency. Yeah. yeah. But we can start to fixate on that. And lose that that notion that this isn't something you can do on you. You have your part, but it's not anything. And and uh, back in verse seventeen, when right after he said, "Be you holy, for I am holy," I love the next thing he says. If you call on the Father, without yeah. respect of persons, judgeth every man right. But but the key, if you're going to be holy, is that oh, you got to call on God. Yeah. It's not going to work without that. Um, yeah. And somehow we have to find that balance. It seems like we're always swinging the pendulum too far one way or the other, where we're right. so fixated on, I have to do all this and I'm not doing enough and I'm not good enough to, I don't need to worry about it. God will just take care of it. And we keep oscillating back and forth. And 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 in the middle, there is a great balance where we know, okay, my choices matter, but I'm making these choices because God has changed me and I love him and I love being changed. I love this way of life and feeling. And so I'm just going to keep pursuing this to the best of my ability, which is limited. And God will keep making up for my inability and keep changing me. And, and that we need help and forgiveness and repentance on a regular basis. And yes. so that, that that's real, but it also is real. Like you say that there, there is a sense in which, and I, this way I go back to verse 22, this sort of like we're agents, but we're also, I, I've been studying recently the passage. It jumped out at me in Moroni six about being wrought upon. And I went back mm. and looked at Enos and I looked at how was it be used throughout the book of Mormon. And there is a sense, there is an external force, but right. God doesn't act on us unless we're inviting him. And this right. I think, is where the Holy ghost comes in. We do things that invite the Holy ghost and then we can be wrought upon by the influence of the Holy spirit to have our hearts changed, to, to do things and to, to feel things we wouldn't feel by ourselves, but we invite that in. And so I think that's part of that balance of using our agency, but also knowing there's a power beyond our own just willpower that's involved. Uh, and I think uh, President Oaks and President Nelson, especially recently, uh, President Nelson a lot has been really keen in on that. Okay, it, it's your agency. God's not going to force this upon you. And and I, I think there's a real power to understanding God wants to change us he is sitting there waiting almost champion at the bit right just so able and willing to change us but we have to invite him but once we invite him oh the places he can take us yeah yeah and i think that really is this this good news that if we were open to wanting to walk to, to make and keep covenants if this is what we really want then he can work with us because once we get on that path and we're moving then he you know, we can collaboratively, um, because we get the prompting to make a change, we have to decide, okay, am I going to make that change or am I not going to make a change? <laughs> right. Um, but little by little working with us to lead us along. And I love if we looked at now to chapter two, he uses two metaphors to show growth and change over time. And I think they're powerful metaphors because they're very real. They're things we can relate to. One is how babies grow. Like mm. they can't right. eat solid food at first. So they have to start with milk. And so like you're starting but you're going to grow. So you, in this instance, this is where you are, but you're not going to be there forever, but you have to say, okay, this is where I'm at right now. So he uses this image of you're, you're starting a new life in Christ. And so he makes a comparison to being, you know, you're leaving behind 
worldliness, right? Laying aside all malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, evil speaking, like anything that's ungodly. If Christ wouldn't say it, we can't say it. I mean, that's that's our covenant. We've we've promised to take the name of Christ upon us, which means to to act as he would act, to do what he would act. But this little baby steps, like I want to, but then, oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was not kind, you know, and, yeah. um, but, but recognizing I want to leave that behind. And so as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, going back to like the point you made in verse 25 is like, we want this better way of being. We want to take on Christ's nature and to have his spirit in us. And, and I, I love that the image, which kind of connects to the fruit of, you know, this image of you've tasted, if it's so be you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, that that, that connection to when you take the fruit, when you feel the, the spirit in your life, you know, there's, this is a better way. It's a happier way. Um, and so you just keep, keep partaking, keep, and you'll grow. I think it's a promise. Like babies, they start small. And then all of a sudden it's like, what happened? You know, it's like yeah. growth happens. If you keep nourishing the child, the child will grow. And you don't have to force it. You just, and so I think ourselves make, maybe giving us confidence that we will grow too. You just keep feeding yourself. Like just take, keep going, take the sacrament every week. Just keep reading your scriptures every day. Keep praying, you know, like you keep nourishing yourself. You will grow. You don't have to be there all at once, but you will, you will grow. You will change. And so I think that that image is part of the sort of giving us hope because that's what it is. We we have yeah. faith, but we have to have the hope that, that we can bridge the distance between where we're at and where we want to be. Um, so that's one image. And the next image he uses though, is, is, is a construction image. So like we're, we're building. And then this is, I mean, it's, it's individual, but also this, I think is maybe has a little bit more of a collective sense as well um, of being these living stones, building a spiritual house. So it's us as individuals, but also us collectively as a church that, that the Lord through us is, is building. I mean, he's building the kingdom. He's building um, Zion. He's building a place where he can come and dwell. Um, but it takes time and we're all lively. We're like living stones. And so we have like the stones that have agency <laughs> that maybe don't always cooperate as much, but, but that, we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And maybe that's, that, that's kind of what strikes me with five. I don't know if, if, if other things are jumping out to you, but I, I just love that image because of course the temple building and that the temple is the house of the Lord where the Lord can come, but it has to be holy. It has to be pure because otherwise the Lord isn't going to be there. So we want the Lord to be in our home. We want the Lord to be in our ward. We want the Lord to be in the church. You know, we, or, we or in a us. Place. us and not exactly because that's where, that's where it starts. Yeah. is we can't control other people. What we can control is, is his spirit. Are we allowing his spirit to be with us or, or are there things that we realize, Oh, we need to change so we can, we can have that. We can be building up that um, holy house, that spiritual house within our own hearts and minds. Yeah. I think that reading on both levels is good collectively yeah. and individually. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, it's it's powerful stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, this is how we become holy, right? Yeah. And it's just like one one little stone at a time, you know, just little by little. It's a process. Yeah. And but that the, the process is intentional, it's growth and it's change oriented. Um, it's working towards something. We're work, working towards growing up in Christ. We're working towards being built up in Christ. 
that they're both um, images that are there's time involved, but there's there's also the directionality is is very intentional that we uh, know what we're uh, going towards. Very good. And I think in this in this process, we have to have some patience, right? If we are watching a baby and you're right, sometimes you're like, wow, how did how did that grow? So how did he or she grow so quickly? Yeah. But sometimes you're like, okay, I'm really ready for this phase of tantrums or whatever to be over. Why isn't this happening more quickly? And same thing with the house. Like sometimes, you know, I live really close to where they're building the Linden Temple. And sometimes I'm like, I can't see any, any, I drive past it most days and uh, I can't see any progress. And then sometimes I'm like, holy cow, what just like in two days, (laughs) so much happened, right? Um, And so I think we have to be patient with others and with ourselves. Know that, okay, we're in process, we're growing. This person may be still struggling with that. Just be patient and and then extend that same patience to yourself. Like, yeah, I'm I'm building this one stone at a time and it's going to take a while to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful perspective. And I think think that's part of what Peter's intending here is, is for us to to be patient with others and to be patient with ourselves, knowing that it's a process. Um, it's real. It matters. I mean, obviously this is the work. This is the, the only thing that the thing that's most important is this building and inviting other people to come, but coming ourselves and coming even more fully. And um, we see a little bit, flip a page where he talks about, you know, this building and um, he, he uses that building image all the way through and then he gets to nine where, you know, there's, there's buildings, but then there's stumbling and that, you know, sort of using some of the same imagery that we see sort of the end of Jacob four going to Jacob five about this, the stone, the builders right. have disallowed, but then, you know, they and they're both trying on Isaiah really, but yeah, yeah anyway, exactly. sorry, so the, you, no, 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 but that's exactly the point. And, you know, and he uses Isaiah a lot in here, like that grass. Yeah is from Isaiah 40. And then we're going to see Isaiah 53, where he brings in the the metaphor of being wounded for our transgressions in, in why his stripes were healed in verse 24. So he's really, he's, he's like, this Isaiah is, is really shaping his thinking. I think he's, you know, Isaiah was looking ahead to the promised Messiah and Peter's like, he's made all the connections. He's getting what Isaiah is saying. Yeah. It's beautiful to see him do it. it. Yeah, and this is because it, it makes Isaiah come more alive when you can see the sort of the fulfillment of what he's been prophesying yeah. and that that vision. And um like every every verse is so rich, but but obviously I think we we want to touch on verse nine just because it's so yeah. familiar for us as Latter-day Saints. And it's also there's a phrase that I think we have a tradition of misunderstanding um, the peculiar people. So you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So we become a covenant people. And as such, we were able to have his priesthood power with us through covenants. And whenever we make covenants and keep the covenants, his priesthood powers with us uh, to become a holy nation, to be set apart. And then there's this like, peculiar people. What is that? And fortunately, again, um, you have a nice little footnote where, again, the, the, the verb is better understood again is redemption, right? Purchased or right. that right. to be belonged to that he's bought us with a price, which means we're his, which we're, we're this precious possession. Um, and so that we have to live differently because we are his We're not, we don't belong to the world anymore. We've been redeemed and bought out of the world. 
that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's called us to, to be the children of light, to be um, the holy people. And we just need to wake up and not get distracted. And I think this is part of what President Nelson's saying when he says, think about where your primary identity is. You know, as being yes. a child of God, a child of the covenant, a disciple of Christ. It's like, I think that's what Peter's saying as well. It's like, let go of this other way of thinking. Just like, this is who you are. And you, you, you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a redeemed people, a purchased people, a precious people that belong to Christ. And we have to live that way. And that's, yeah. that's always the call, the prophetic call. <laughs> yeah. And again, I mean, you're, you're right. There's so, so such strong covenant connections. This he's quoting there in verse nine from Exodus, when God is bringing the children of Israel to Mount Sinai to have them enter into the covenant with him. Right. And so that idea of a holy nation, this is someone who's different, who's more godly, less worldly. And, and as you said, I love the Greek translation of peculiar people. If we were to go back to that Hebrew and say, that's, that's something that is precious because it's so rare so again it's it's different than everyone else and that's what makes it precious so that god has purchased it as you've said it's it's become his purchased possession that he wanted because it was so rare and so it's uh, so precious to him as a result but but i think what that means is different than everyone else it's just another way of saying a holy nation it's a it's a nation that is different it's not worldly and so this has become, and the reason it's not worldly is because they've chosen God and then he has redeemed them. As you've said, he's made them this valuable people. And, and uh, that leads us so beautifully into verse 10, where he says, you, you were not a people. And I think, again, we can understand this better. I, Peter keeps drawing so much on, on the yeah. Hebrew text here. Right. And um, uh, he, I think that, if we were covenant. to go with the the Hebrew understanding of people, yeah, I mean the word usually means covenant people, right? So you were you were just everybody else, but now you're the people or the covenant people of God, yep. which had not obtained mercy. And I would guess that that is Chesed, that is what they're referring to. Which is the, the covenant, yeah, that covenant of mercy, covenant. yeah, right. yeah. But now you have obtained that covenant of love and mercy and so on, right? So it, it's uh, just so much about being changed and and. Christ and covenant are the agents, to, uh, well, in our agency, uh, our, but our agency is entering into the covenant. So it really is Christ we're, and, the, and the covenant. That, connecting. That, yeah, yeah. And then the, verse Allowing 11. that to work in us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I love verse 11 because, I mean, there's a part of me that says, okay, is he kind of referring to the epistle of Hebrews or was Hebrews referring to mm -hmm. teachings of Peter or did they both have some other text? There's part of me that yeah. thinks there's some other text somewhere that talks about this, that they're both drawn on in the end. I don't know, but it's, it's great teachings. Yeah. And, and powerful, right? It, Cause it's, again, if we think that we belong to the world, we want to be like the world. And this yeah. is where this language you see both in Hebrews 11, you see it here of being strangers and pilgrims, this sense of we're living again, that we're forward looking, we're living for the kingdom. We want to live in the kingdom for the kingdom and to, to know that that's our home whether it's the celestial kingdom, so the think celestial, like we, we're we're choosing to live covenant lives, preparing ourselves to, to dwell with the Father and the Son in holiness forever. But to do that, we have to live with the Father and the Son in holiness now, because we're yeah. not, and I think that's President Nelson's point, we're not, if we don't want it now, we're not going to want it then. 
And we have to want it. And the only time we can want something is now because we live in the now. And so if we want it forever, we have to start by wanting it now and start living it now. And that's, that's this invitation to leave behind anything that isn't fit for the kingdom, anything that's not, um, that's not worthy of the name of Christ that we've taken upon ourselves. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I hope that we in some ways do feel this discomfort when we are in very worldly places yeah. and, and yeah. as opposed to a comfort when we're say in the temple or in a, in a place that's holy. Right. I can, I can remember maybe just two examples of that, that um, when I was going to UCLA and I loved UCLA, I loved everything about it, but I, a couple of times I came back to BYU and taught for a summer and then I'd go back to UCLA campus and I just feel so uncomfortable. Like I can't look at anybody because of the way they're dressed. Like I can't even look up. It's just, uh, I, I felt so out of place because uh, I, I just, I wasn't comfortable. And I've actually had, interestingly, the same thing as I've gone back to Hawaii where you and I both uh, taught you for far longer than I, but, um, uh, and, and when I go to BYU Hawaii, I feel like I'm coming home and then I go to the beach and I'm afraid to look at anyone. It's, uh, and, and I feel uncomfortable. I feel like this is not, and I love being at the beach and in Hawaii, I feel at home, but, but at the beach, I feel like I'm not, I don't belong with this same group and culture that's going on around me here, but I do belong at that culture that is across the street where everyone's trying to be holy. And I, and I hope that's a feeling that we all have to some degree. We have to live in the world, but I hope we feel uncomfortable with it. Yeah. No, and that is key. And I think the more time we spend, and I think this is the invitation, like why is it President Nelson? And then, you know, thinking back to the, the same invitation that President Hunter gave, but to spend as much time as possible. And this yeah. is everyone, what is feasible or possible or like for each of us is very, very different. But to to, to find ourselves in the temple as often as we can is to become, is to learn holiness through absorption. Like we, um, it's a better way to be and you start to feel that and you start to feel less comfortable with ungodly ways of being. And so it's sort of picking up and absorbing like a child absorbs the culture of their home. We, and I, again, the, the spread, spreading of temples throughout the earth, of course, is to accelerate the gathering on the other side of the veil as well, allowing other people to make covenants. But but part of this also for us, the more often we can worship in the temple, then the more we are part of, we're, we're experiencing that celestial culture, that godly way of living that helps us feel like strangers and pilgrims in the world because we know we really belong with God and that that's where our home is. Um, and, and I love, this is the way he finishes. Maybe we'll just, we'll just push ahead just to the end of this yeah. Yeah. chapter because Again, sometimes I think it just helps to remember, and the temple actually points us, all of the ordinances point to Christ, and they point us to his, his atoning sacrifice that allows us to move from one, a godly, from an ungodly way of living to a godly way of living. But he he has this theme here about being called. So, so we're called to be patient in long-suffering and well-doing, even if we're not appreciated for it, is one of the points he's making here. Like you might, people might be mad at you, but 
if it's for the if it's for God's purpose, and he comes back to this several times actually. The epistle, like if people are mad at you for your own faults, oh well. But if they're mad at you for be, for being godly, then that's actually a good thing. <laughs> um, so that if you take it patiently, it's acceptable to God with God. So that we're we're wanting to to be. Well, this is, let's look at verse 21. For hereunto were ye called. Right. Because Christ suffered for us. So Christ was perfect. He always did what pleased the Father. Um, but yet he wasn't he wasn't necessarily appreciated and admired by people around him. So he's giving us or leaving us an example. And so he's telling us that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled reviled not again so even even if we're not being celebrated for choosing to follow Christ we're actually by by not being celebrated we're following Christ <laughs> oh. um when he was reviled reviled not again when he suffered he threatened not so not getting mad at other people not being frustrated with them but just knowing you know have peace in our hearts that we're doing the right thing um and to have I mean, to to look to the Lord and for his his approval rather than the world's approval. And I think that's part of you know kind of putting us pushing us back to Christ. And I love 24 where he reminds us, I think this is a good reminder that because sometimes it's easy to feel self-righteous, like I'm so wonderful and everyone's persecuting me uh, because uh. I'm so good. And it's like it's like don't think that remember i think this is a remember who with his he he bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we so he 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 makes this possible right we're not so wonderful by ourselves he made it possible his suffering and death made it possible that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you're healed how is it that we can be good because of his stripes that we are healed through his atoning sacrifice, we are holy through his redeeming blood that, and so never to be prideful about living a godly life, but to be humble and that Christ makes it possible. I think that this, having taught the gospel so many times, I think that the temptation to pride in a life, a holy life is very real (laughs) and that that Christ, um, I think Peter's aware of it and Christ's aware of it. And so he's pushing us back to to say we have to be good, but not, and to be righteous, but not self-righteous. Good. And so, so I think that's that's just a helpful reminder as we're trying to be good, as we're trying to be different, not to be boastful about it, not to be prideful about it, not to think we're better than other people. It's like, we're just here because Christ has brought us out and given us, he's forgiven us and he's helping us. It's not about, it's nothing, we have nothing to glory in ourselves about. So I yeah. think it's it's that that correction to where we can tip over into the um, self righteousness and boasting. So or or also not to look down on others, right? It's so easy to start to think, well, why didn't why don't they do this or why don't they behave that way or why can't I count on them or why do they understand yeah. this this way? And just remember, look, you wouldn't be where you are without God. Uh, God's going to get them there, and probably you're not quite as right as you think you are, but um, but. Uh, there's uh, if we recognize that wherever we are, it's because Christ got us there and that he's working with everyone, then that just changes the way we view 
people who may be struggling with this or that. And, and hopefully we remember the things we're struggling with. I remember, I can't remember who it was, someone who uh, in conference brought up the bumper sticker. Don't, don't judge me because I sin differently than you do. Um, yeah. But, but we all do, right? Be compassionate and patient because he's compassionate and patient with us. And yes. so that's the, the least we can do is, and, and I do think, and actually that is a really nice frame to shift from two to three, because without going verse by verse or into the details, like getting into the weeds, because some of it's, but it's just the sense of Christ is giving us an example of how to be right with God and and I and how to how to also relate to other people. And then I, I love the way chapter three starts where he says likewise. So mm-hmm. this sort of being in relationship to each other in a family relationship, husband, wife, parents, children, however we are, we're doing it in the same way that Christ is in relationship to his father. And so that we, we see, we see ourselves, we keep ourselves in that relationship of, um, you know, trying to be humble, not prideful, trying to be serviceable and not pushy. I mean, they, they, again, but it, it, it goes on to, it's all about taking on Christ's nature. Um, whatever a role might happen to be in a family or an award that remembering, I love this in verse seven, where it talks about, because sometimes there's this sort of weaker vessel and there's, there's so much baggage in the Western tradition of how women were treated. Um, that that is, it's antithetical to the gospel. We don't have to embrace it. We don't have to defend it, but we do need to, to remember. And I I love this, this phrase about being heirs together of the grace of life. And that, Mm -hmm. I think is what the restoration, that's what the restoration brings up. And that's what, you know, when the the sealing, the language of the, the sealing ceremony is this, the sense of being heirs together, that that's the vision of, of a husband and wife being, again, that unity, because you have the unity of the father and the son, even though they have different relationships, that there's a unity and the oneness. And so this is invitation into unity and oneness. You see in verse eight, be of one mind, having compassion one another and to, to be, to to be merciful, to be compassionate, to be gracious, this courteous. Um, And so how we, how we relate to each other, the more we take on Christ, the more we're going to, to, to relate to other people the way he related to them, I guess, is part of what I'm taking from that. Like, this is this is what I'm hoping for. This is what I'm trying to to have a vision of working towards. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and I, I think he is drawing on the teachings he got uh, from from Christ, right? And because it's in my mind, basically, what he's saying is, if you're in relationship with someone, you should be serving them, uh, and that's that's something Christ was teaching, like be the servant of all. He's the greatest, should be the least, and so on. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what that relationship is and what different positions are, we all serve each other. So if you're in a relationship, serve and focus on that and, and love and service and it'll work out. And that you don't have to worry about other people because the only person we can control is us. And that following Christ and serving as he would serve is really a way of taking his name upon us and being in the world the way he was in his, his willingness to always serve and to do the will of the father. So this, these beautiful, beautiful themes. Right at the end of chapter three, the beginning of chapter four, we have these beautiful 
um, references that we we can make more sense of in our day um, because of, and I think it's significant. I, I remember talking with students about this, that Joseph F. Smith, with the beginning of, of section 138, he does the th same things that we do in our scripture study. He ponders, he has a question, he, he's thinking about Christ as atoning sacrifice, he's studying the text, and he's, he's inviting revelation. And so the very same process that prophets go through to get revelation is a process we try to go through. And that the revelation he gets in pondering these texts about the spirit, preaching to spirits in prison, and then going and in verse, so 319, 4 verse 6, gospel preached, that the, the vision is open to him and he gets that clarity. So Joseph F. Smith um, is, well, this means so much more to us because of a prophet who, like Peter, was willing to to go to the Lord and seek instruction and then be able to declare that word to clarify things for all the rest of us. So yeah. that's part of what I take away is like this meta message is that the clarity, I mean, the wonderful news that the gospel can preach to everyone who's ever lived is the best news, but also that um, the revelation comes and it comes step by step and prophets have the same process of getting that revelation that we do. So, yeah. And it's fun to see one of Peter's successors furthering yeah. Peter's teachings here. I mean, that's a, that is that step-by-step -step thing. It's wonderful. And yeah. I'll also, again, yeah, we, we can't spend too much time, but I'll throw in, I just know so many people who have uh, family members in one way or another that are struggling where this, this general concept is meaningful that our opportunity to accept the gospel and to change does not end in this life. There's a long time where Christ is going to work with us. Yeah. That mortality, when we think of mortality, we just think from birth to death. But there is a sense, and I think section 138 opens that up to us, that until we're resurrected, like we're, there's a kind, we're almost still in mortality. We don't think of it, we think they're dead, but they're alive. Their spirits are alive. They haven't been reunited with a resurrected body. And until we're resurrected, we haven't been judged. And so we're still learning. We're still growing. So there's people, what they learn in mortality, like in their bodies and what they learn in mortality in the spirit world are is a continuation. And I do think you're absolutely right that there's so much hope and that, I mean, people are still going to, in the end of the day, people want what they want. They choose what they choose, but knowing that there's more time for everybody and that just hoping that people will will have the good news of Christ and his atoning sacrifice and the redemption, the freedom that he offers will, if, if it's not speaking to them now, we, we can just be prayerful that in time that it will, it, that they will hear it and they will rejoice in that. And they will leave the bondage of spiritual bondage that they find themselves in. Yes. Amen. Amen. So it's, it's worth, I think section 138 should be, the best known, the message, one of the, the greatest messages of the restoration is, is the message of hope for everyone that's ever lived, that this is the plan and that that is a big, big plan that gives, you know, that Christ is, his arms are outstretched um, and that that process is going to continue. Yep. Yeah. So, so much mercy. It's, it's extraordinary. Now, with this a little, because I know we've, um, I want to jump to Second Peter, 
right. chapter one, because for me, I, I mean, thinking about, as you mentioned, this is the end of his life. And I think about, um, and, and I've written about this as well. So in chapter one, we have the words of Peter where he's, he's talking about taking on the divine nature and was fortunate to at some point make the connection. I think maybe it was just listening to it over and over again. But when President Hunter was prophet, and it was hardly a year, it was such a short period of time. But but as prophet, he spoke on these verses. And, and I think in both my Finding Christ in the Covenant Path, and actually also um, in the volume on, let's talk about temples and ritual. I think both of them, I I talk about sort of tease out between what President Hunter taught and what Peter's teaching. Again, you have these prophetic voices echoing back and and reinforcing each other. And what President Hunter makes so clear is that these great and precious promises by these that you might be partakers of the divine nature, that this is the covenant this is the covenants of the temple, this divine power. So speaking of it, I think he's talking about the endowment according to his divine power, which has given unto us all things that pertain unto life. And so you think of these gifts, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. So we are as through, through the endowment, we're being invited to come to the knowledge of Christ as we're coming to know him because we're coming his his glory his virtue and that these promises that we're given because it's a journey right as we've been talking about all the way through our discussion we're here but we know we want to get to where he is but we have these promises and that's what abraham can hold on to that's what we can hold on to is we are given by making covenants we're given promises that we will become that if we're faithful that we can take on that nature, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature so that this, this fullness of growth, of, of growing up into Christ, of being built up into Christ, of taking on his nature, when there are days we think I'm never going to get there, it, I think he's saying, remember the promises, remember the covenant. And... Um, for those who want to go back and, and review it, I have a little note here. This is in the October conference of 1994. And I would recommend listening to President Hunter in his own words talk about these exceeding great and precious promises, because it's in that talk where he points us to the temple and he connects this language to the temple. And so it is precisely in the temple where we're given these great and precious promises, where we're being everything that pertains to life and godliness is we're being given, we're being offered power to become godly, to take on this process of growing, right? We've talked about, you know, we grow, we grow into this. We're not going to, it's not going to happen overnight, but that we leave behind worldliness. And then we, as we, we're trying with all diligence to keep our covenants, adding to our faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, charity. We're growing. And if all these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, which ultimately 
that means becoming like him. And when we know him, it's because we have his nature. And, and that's what the restoration's for, is to give us access to covenants and ordinances that can allow us to come to know Christ and to have the confidence that we will, that we will get there. That if we're yeah. faithful, we make and keep covenants, we will get there. We just have to, we can, that's what we focus on. And that this is a, these are promises that, that that's, and he uses some pretty powerful language, right? Where he talks about making, giving diligence to make your calling election sure is, but he's, he's talking about taking on the nature of Christ and whether or not we have that promise given to us in this life or the next life, it, it, that the promises are are sure because as long as we're faithful, then we know the Lord will, will help us to arrive. Uh beautiful wonderful and thank goodness or well really amen. thank thank god <laughs> amen yeah that's our hope he is um he gives us that the covenant connection so that we can have confidence not in ourselves but in him and as we continue to act in faith um he will draw us closer and closer uh, back to him Amen, as you said. Yeah. Uh, what what better message should we? I mean, everything we've talked about here is so powerful and so important. We could have made a single episode out of every all of the topics we've talked about. Um, but uh, that's that's the nature of First and Second Peter. Peter, it, it's heavy. I mean, you it's really rich. do get the feeling that Peter he senses there's some problems out there, and he addresses a number of problems in Second Peter, right? And there are some people who are teaching false things and so on. But yeah. But he, he senses there are some problems, but he also, I think, senses this is this is my way of addressing these churches, uh, but really everyone. And he he just teaches it clearly and powerfully, and we're blessed for it. I'm so grateful for prophets, ancient and modern. And it's it's wonderful to see the the continuum of Peter and his successors as you've ex helped us explore here. So it's a privilege to 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 have have the gift of having modern day prophets and have these records from ancient prophets. It is, we are so blessed. I'm grateful. Myself as well. Well, we want to thank you, Jennifer, for, uh, or Dr. Lane, for uh, helping us on this wonderful journey and to understand all of these things. And we want to thank our audience for being part of this. And hopefully you've been edified and you've been touched and, and taught. And then you see how others could be edified by this and you will share this with others. Uh, it's helpful if you share it both by telling people about it or texting them or whatever your method of sharing is, uh, but also by liking, subscribing, following, downloading, rating, reviewing, commenting, all of those things help us share this uh, more widely so that we can edify more people and help more people come into Christ and, and draw power from the scripture. So we would ask you to do that. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the book that Dr. Lane mentioned, her, her book, uh, Finding Christ on the Covenant Path. And we'll we'll see if we can find the article you mentioned as well and, and put it on there. And I'll remind my audience that uh, they're right now we're in the middle of this opportunity where uh, from November 15th to December 15th for my books that were published with uh, Covenant Communications. If you write in the code carry K-E-R-R-Y, carry 25, you get 25% off if you go to seagullbook.com. You can get 25% off. So that's, we arranged that to help you with your Christmas gifts, I guess. Um, and uh, we also would love for you to email us uh, if you've had some uh, experiences, some things that have been helpful for you, and we'll share some of those on the air. Uh, the scriptures are real at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
And uh, we hope that we can just spread the, the good news, the gospel of Christ as far and wide as we can. So thank you.